came to church today, anybody? Come on. You're looking good today. Hey, I want to welcome everybody, wherever you're at, Polaris Campus, Short North Campus, Hilliard Campus. Glad to be with you. Those joining us online, on television, and from one of the more than 350 prisons tuned in from all across the nation. Come on, church. We welcome you. When you can be in our rooms, it's an awesome honor and privilege yeah. to be with you in your rooms. My name is Chad. This is my wife, Katie. We're still the lead pastors of this church, in case y'all forgot who we were. We, um, <laughs> I thought about naming the series, we're, we're back at, um, I don't know, it's been a while. We've been on sabbatical for quite a few weeks this summer, but um, can we just put our hands together for all the incredible speakers? The men and women that brought the word for the past nine weeks. Come on. Truly grateful. Truly grateful and humbled to be a part of such an incredible team. Yeah, you know, I think as we started dreaming about what the next 10 years would look like, you know, we celebrated 10 years as a church in April. We've been running fast for 10 years. And as we just got together and began dreaming and praying, we realized if the next 10 are going to be better than the next 10, we better just press pause for a minute, recharge, rest. And so I'm just so grateful for a church and a team that would say, yes, go do that. I'm grateful for a husband that would lead the way in that. And, but we're so glad to be back. And I got to tell you, Chad's ready to go today. He's only had me to preach to for, for all summer. So I'm really ready for him to be back because, uh, yeah, well, you'll, you'll see. You'll see. He's, he's, he's ready. I want to pray for us as a church. Before I do that, I want to thank the women at the Ohio Reformatory for Women. They gave me this beautiful bracelet this week. And I'm so grateful that you thought of me. God's doing an amazing work there. He loves you. He's not done with you. He never was done with you. He's always been with you. And we're seeing amazing things happening at the Ohio Reformatory for Women. So thank you so much for your thoughtfulness. I haven't taken it off since I got it. I love it. Can we pray? Can we pray for this series and service and, and everything? God, we just thank you for your presence. It never leaves. Even when we leave, you never leave us. You're so, so good. And your word says that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And that word is true. Better is one day in your house than anywhere else. In your house, there's healing and peace. I'm so grateful for this house. I'm so grateful to be here today with these people. I know you're going to do an amazing work today. You already have. And I just pray for Chad as he brings the word. I thank you for him and his leadership in our family and for this church. I pray a prayer of covering and blessing over this time as we grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. Come on, can we put our hands together for Jesus one more time? Come on, can we honor him? Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Y'all can have a seat. I, I hope I still know how to do this. Somebody ought to be praying for me right now. Um, I do, I do, again, just want to say one more time from the bottom of my heart to our church, our lead team, to our uh, overseeing pastors, how grateful I am to have been given uh, just such an incredible sabbatical time to rest. 
Truly, at the beginning of this past year, as we realized we were heading in on 10 years as a church, and then thinking about 2020, anybody think 2020 felt like 10 years all by itself? How about 100 years? Come on, somebody. It feels like 100 years. Well, we started you know, realizing all that we have been brought through by God and just the faithfulness and provision of God. But, but more than that, I began to dream for the next 10 And um, I started to realize, as did our lead team and overseers, that if if the next 10 are going to be better than the last 10, then we need to take some time to pause and reflect and and just to have a Sabbath, a sabbatical, not so much to recover from anything. I I don't feel like we needed to recover from anything, but really to prepare ourselves for this next decade. Anybody excited for the next decade in ministry? Come on. For the next 10 years of reaching people for Jesus. And I'm so grateful to be... uh, given the, the privilege of leading a church and just to introduce people to Jesus, it is the honor of a lifetime. And um, I thought I would share with you just the three, the three things real quick before we dive into the message. I shared this with our staff this week, my first staff meeting back really all summer was, was this past Monday. And, um, and I said, look, I don't have a new word for you. I didn't ask God for a word these past 10 weeks. I didn't ask him for a new dream or anything like that. Matter of fact, I'm a dreamer. So for me to Sabbath means don't dream because the moment I start dreaming, if I'm dreaming all through the Sabbath, then, then my heart's racing a million miles a second and my mind and my heart can't rest. So I actually said, Lord, don't give me any new dreams or anything like that. Um, that can wait till I come back. Right. But, but just give me rest. And, um, let, let me enjoy my family. And there, there's three things that I feel like the Lord really confirmed to me and to my family. Number one, it's that we love each other. I love my family. And um, I, I want you to hear that. I think it's really important to know that you have a pastor who loves his family. Because when you're with the same people 24-7 in a much smaller space than you're used to living in, you really get to find out, do you love them like you think you do? Come on, somebody. Like, do I love my kids like I know I ought to love my kids? And, and truly, we do love each other. We love spending time together. And I've just seen so many people fail, and I've seen so many pastors fail because they fall out of love with their families, and they fall in love with somebody or something else. And what a tragedy that is. And so, number one, I realize I love my family now more than ever. The second thing that the Lord really confirmed in my heart is I love this team. I love our team. Matter of fact, I realized I was thinking about them so much, and I'm like, I'm not supposed to be thinking about work, but I wasn't thinking about work when I thought about our team because I wasn't thinking, God, I hope they don't screw up the church in 10 weeks. Come on, somebody. I hope the buildings aren't burning down. Like, no, I I knew everything was going to be okay. I was thinking about our team just like family. I miss my family. I I wish I could watch this game with with my family. I, I really realized I love this team. I love who I get to do ministry with every single day. And then the third thing is um, I realized our church is strong. Our church is strong. COVID couldn't kill it. An election couldn't kill it. Come on. The devil can't kill it. Nothing can stop the church. The church is strong. And, um, and I just, I needed to see this too. Just the, the, what the, one thing these last 10 weeks has, has proven is this church isn't built on me. This church isn't dependent upon the personality of one leader. This church is built on the collective efforts of many. And there is a Holy Spirit infused power in this church. Come on, there's an anointing on this house. The, 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 the presence of God is here. And there's just something about, there's something about going to other churches, visiting another church as a pastor and just wanting to be back home 
the whole time. Like, I love this house. I love this people. I love our culture. I love the energy. I love the worship. I love the volunteers. I love how it feels. I love the culture. I, I love everything about this church. And so I just want to say, Lord, thank you for an incredible church. Thank you for an incredible team. And thank you for an incredible family. I love all three. So, Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word today as we dive into a brand new series on the book of Habakkuk. We give it all to you in Jesus name. Everybody said amen. And one more time, can we honor Jesus today? Come on. One more time. Can we honor him? Well, it's, it's behind me. It's the book of Habakkuk. If you want to follow along, you could turn there. Some of you didn't even know that was a book of the Bible. My, my daughter was quick to remind me, Dad, um, in our Bible school class at school, they say Habakkuk, not Habakkuk. And I'm like, who cares, right? Like, I don't, maybe your Bible school teacher's smarter than me. I don't think it matters. I think as long as you turn there, if you don't know where it is, go just a little bit past the halfway point in your Bible. It's about 10 pages to the left of the book of Matthew, book of Habakkuk. I want to sort of lay out a disclaimer, if you will about this message, a little bit of a warning about this message, even the, the entirety of this three-week series. And, and that is because normally when we preach a message, um, we might ask a question at the beginning. The goal would be to answer that question well by the end of the message. Um, we might present a, a, a sensitive topic, but the goal is to at least fully address that sensitive topic or to fully resolve whatever issue is at hand, Pastor Craig Groeschel calls a typical pastor's message a sitcom sermon, and that's because you watch a sitcom, whatever tension exists in that sitcom, you can pretty much count on by the end of those 30 minutes, the tension is going to be resolved, right? Even if it's a cliffhanger ending or if there's a cliffhanger ending or two, you can pretty much count on, well, at least by the end of next week's 30-minute episode, or, or maybe at least in a few weeks, at least by the end of this short season, there's going to be resolution if only life were like a sitcom. Amen? Like, if only the issues of life could be resolved in 30 minutes, we, that, that would be amazing. But the reality is there are issues in life that will not be resolved in 30 minutes. There are some issues in life that will not be resolved in 30 days or in 30 years. There are issues in life that will last a lifetime, and perhaps some of you have been dealing with, wrestling with an issue like that. It's been a lifetime of prayer. It's been a lifetime of, of dealing with this issue. It is the prayer that you've been praying, but you've not gotten an answer yet. It's the miracle that you've been believing God for, but he's not given you the miracle yet. It's the wayward son or daughter, but there's still no sign of their return. Maybe a wayward mother or father or friend. There's no sign that they'll be coming home anytime soon. It's prayer for financial breakthrough, but there's still breaking. There's just not the breakthrough. It's the marriage issue that will not be resolved. It's, it's the headaches that won't go away. It's the anxiety that doesn't seem to give you even a moment of relief. Sometimes the issues in life are never resolved this side of heaven, and that is a very difficult thing to hear. 
And that can create for all of us what Dr. Henry Blackaby refers to as a crisis of faith or a crisis of belief. When what I see in front of me, when when what I feel, when what I'm going through just doesn't seem to align with what I know or think I know about God. Like when I read just this week of a 10-year-old little girl sitting in the passenger seat of her daddy's car. A semi-truck just happened to be passing by and just so happened that one of the tires of that semi-truck kicked up a four-inch rock that went through the windshield of her daddy's truck, struck her in the head, and killed her. A 10-year-old little girl. Freak accident or failure by God? I'm sure somebody is asking that question. I've prayed with couples who have endured miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. They have struggled to trust God, having been unable to have children. And yet every day they're reminded because we live in a culture that continues to support and even champion and promote abortion, that as one person longs to bring a child into the world that they cannot, others will willfully abandon and abort the children that they can And I'm sure the question has been asked quite often, where is the fairness in that? When you've been the one to believe and trust God for the entirety of your life, and and yet it's your child who is wayward. When you've been faithful and you've honored God with the first fruits of your tithe, and, and yet it's you who right now is out of work. When your faith is tested and tried and you don't know why and what you see and what you feel doesn't seem to align with what you know about God, what do you do? We've been singing this song now for the past few weeks. I know because I've been watching online. Come on, somebody. (laughs) And I've been witness to so many Miracles by the hand of God in this church. I've, I've looked at charts. I've seen tumors disappear. I've, I've looked at charts. I've, I've seen vessels in the brain restored. And, and I've looked at what was and, and now what is. And, and the only thing in between was prayer. And we can see clearly that God performed an incredible miracle. I've seen addicts set free. But at the same time, I've seen people die of cancer. I've seen marriages that that ought to have been able to be restored. I've seen marriages completely crumble. I've seen addicts, even in the church who love Jesus, continue to spiral out of control. We've prayed for healing many times, and God has healed many times because God loves. But I, I want us to understand that the inverse of that statement is not true. That when God does not heal this side of heaven, it is not because God does not love. And I think that's important to note. You see, our viewpoint, our our point of view tends to be so short-sighted when the reality as believers is our greatest hope is Jesus, amen, and the greatest promise is salvation and heaven. And so we have to understand the reality that sometimes God heals because he loves, but, but healing is guaranteed for those who are in Christ because heaven is guaranteed. So you might be healed of cancer now. You might be healed of whatever ails your body today, but it's only that healing will only last this lifetime. It is life in eternity with Jesus in heaven that never ends. It is, it is wholeness and healing and life and joy in heaven that lasts forever. So some might receive healing here now, but we all, those who are in Christ, will be healed and hold with Christ forever. That takes faith to believe. Sometimes that's hard to believe. 
That's why it's called a crisis of faith when, when what I see and when what I feel doesn't seem to align with the goodness of God. We've all been there. If you've not been there, I don't know what world you've been living in. If you've never said, why, God, why? I, I don't know how you can care much for anybody or for anything because when you care deeply and when you feel deeply and when you love deeply, your faith at times will be tested deeply. When we prayed for a young girl in our church to be healed of cancer and we were sure that God was going to heal her of cancer and she died and our team, we cried and we cried and we cried. As I met with a, a family this week, a dear friend of mine who's on life support, he's 45, he's a father. And as he was driving his car, his heart stopped. and He was without oxygen for some time. We're not sure how long. And they're keeping him alive, and we're, we're hoping upon hope upon hope, and we're, we're asking God to heal and to restore. And I said to the family this week, as I've seen God just, just do a work in this man's life, I've, I've been watching the hand of God in this man's life. I have to believe that God's not done with him yet. And I said to them what I'll say to you, and it's going to take quite a lot of faith for all of us. What I see when what I feel doesn't seem to align with what I know or think I know about God. I've got to remind myself that God is good, even when life is not. I've got to remind myself that God is good even when my circumstance is anything but I believe that God is good no matter what my issue, no matter my sickness, my setback, my challenge, my trouble. Yes, it takes faith to declare it, but I'm telling you, church, when push comes to shove, I've got to remind myself that God is faithful. I've got to remind myself that God is good. I've got to remind myself that God is able all the time, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when my, my heart and my mind wants to push back on it. It's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to even question God at times. And if you're thinking, well, how, how is it okay to question God? I, I would just say, look, read your Bible. The Bible's full of people who God used greatly, but who also questioned God. One third of all the Psalms, just about one third of all the Psalms are, are people crying out to God. There's an entire book in the Bible called the book of Lamentations. If you look at Jesus on the cross, he who knew no sin, who became sin for us, he's on the cross lamenting, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus laments on the cross. See, church, I would much rather you lament to God, question God, cry out to God, even wrestle with God than run from God, turn from God. Over these next three weeks, we'll be studying the book of Habakkuk. There are only three chapters in this book. Habakkuk is a prophet who lived about 600 years before Jesus. And what makes Habakkuk unique is a prophet would tend to speak to the people on behalf of God. God would give the prophet a word and the prophet would speak that word to the people. But what makes Habakkuk unique and sort of stand out is that Habakkuk didn't so much speak to the people on behalf of God. Habakkuk spoke to God on behalf of the people. 
Habakkuk is living in a time where he's witnessing the blessing of God, the covering of of God seem to be lifted from the people of God. A, A nation once blessed is becoming more and more corrupt. A people devoted to God, once devoted to God, are now overwhelmingly caught up in all sorts of sin. And Habakkuk is lamenting on behalf of a nation, on behalf of a people, a a nation in moral decay. And you might even say much like this nation today where the fastest growing people group, religiously speaking in this nation, are those who adhere to no religion at all. The nuns, as they're now being called, no religious affiliation, and we continue to spiral into moral depravity. And Habakkuk is crying out to God, and he's basically got three complaints. Complaint number one is this, that, Lord, you seem to be indifferent to our need. It's as if you don't care. It's as if you're not listening. Our words are falling upon deaf ears. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Notice the question mark of this prophet. You you do not listen, God? Can you see the wrestling in his words? You do not listen because I thought you do. I I thought you heard every prayer. I'm pretty sure you hear every cry. I'm, I'm quite certain you know what it is we're going through. I'm beginning to question. I'm, I'm in a moment of wrestling with you. Why, why do I cry out violence, but you do not save? Because I'm pretty sure you would have responded by now. I, I've always thought of you as God who saves, but, 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 but though you, you must see what we're going through, you, you've not come through the way that I thought you would. Why do you make us look at injustice? Why do you tolerate the wrong? This seems so out of your character, God. How can you be so indifferent to what we're going through? And how is it, God, that that number two, you can, but you haven't yet? I know you're strong. I know you're able. I know you can, but you haven't yet. You're tolerating what you ought to correct. You're allowing what you ought to resolve. You're, You're letting linger what you ought to stomp out quickly. God, I don't understand. I know you can. I know you can bring healing. You haven't yet. I know you can bring restoration. You haven't yet. I know you can bring the 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 peace in my mind that I'm asking you for, but you haven't yet. Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. I I know this was written about 2,600 years ago, but it could have very well been written yesterday. The law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous. Justice is perverted. The wicked have the upper hand. You're not making any sense. What you're doing doesn't make sense to me, God. What you're not doing doesn't make sense to me, God. What's going on right now doesn't make sense to me, God. So let me ask you a few questions. Can it be true that God can be good even when God doesn't make sense to us? Can it be true That God can be good even when God can, and we know that God can, but he has not yet. Can it be true 
that God can be good even when he seems to be indifferent to my need. Just because he seems to be doesn't mean that he is indifferent. Can it be true that if God is who he says he is, great God, maker of heaven and earth, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, which means always and everywhere present, all-knowing and all-powerful, can it be true that if God is all of that, that there might be times when it becomes impossible for us to understand him fully? Can it be true that God can be good even when our circumstances are anything but good? And that in those moments when there is a crisis of belief, when we want to push back on God, we've got to simply decide that we will trust him no matter what. You see, people tend to do one of two things in a crisis of faith. Number one, they'll deny the problem. Number two, they'll deny God. Run from the problem or run from God. I've seen many Christians run from the problem. You, you go to the doctor, you have the blood results, there's, there's the evidence in hand, and the doctor says, you have cancer. I've seen a lot of times where Christians will push back. No, I'm, I, I don't receive that. And the doctor says, I don't understand that language. Well, this is the language of faith. Okay, well, let me tell you the language of what I'm seeing right here. This blood work shows that you have cancer. No, in the name of Jesus, I do not. And I've seen people walk away and say, I'm not thinking about it again. I'm not taking any treatment. God is my healer. There's no cancer in my body. But if I can just ask you this question, can it be true that God can be good and there be cancer in your body at the same time? Is your faith in God determined by or dependent upon the presence or non-presence of cancer or any situation that might be negative or trying in your life? I've seen others who simply deny God, deny his existence. If God were real, then I wouldn't be going through what I'm going through. If God cared, if God was loving, then I wouldn't have lost my child. I, I wouldn't have lost my marriage. I, I wouldn't be dealing with what I'm, I'm dealing with. If God is who he says he is, then, then he would have prevented this. Deny the problem or deny God. But I would submit to you there is a third way. Matter of fact, that the name Habakkuk literally means to embrace and to wrestle. See, I believe there's a third way when it comes to a crisis of faith, a crisis of belief, when, when what you see, when what you feel doesn't seem to align with the goodness of God, and I just, I just can't quite seem to wrap my mind around what it is that I'm, I'm going through. I believe we can both embrace the issue and embrace God and wrestle with the challenge and wrestle with God, and that that's, that can be a very good thing. Habakkuk wrestles with God. He's not denying the struggle. He's also not denying God in the midst of the struggle. And I would even say, church, it is fair game and, and even sometimes absolutely necessary as a wholehearted follower of Jesus to both wrestle with God by asking hard and honest questions, by casting all your care and anxiety and worry upon him and every complaint and all of your fear and all of your frustration and anger 
And at the same time, embrace God by holding on to hope and by never letting go of faith no matter what. You see, I would rather you wrestle with God than run from God because when you wrestle with God, you're close. Anybody been watching Olympic wrestling? Y'all notice how close they get? It's not might not be a loving embrace, but it's an embrace. You're all up in each other's business. Come on, church. I thought about preaching this whole message in a singlet just to drive this point home. I thought they'll never forget the message. No, they'll never forget something else. I, I thought the camera adds 10 pounds and then there'd be no mystery left to me anyway. So how many of you just want to say praise God right now? He is fully clothed. Come on. I thought about calling Kyle Snyder. Okay, can I borrow one? Then I thought, no, because he wore it. I don't want to do that. You can't wrestle with somebody that you're not willing to get all up close and personal with. Habakkuk wrestles with God. He asks some really good questions. How long must I cry out and you not listen? How, how long will our enemy have the upper hand? How long will this injustice thing prevail? And God replies in verse 5. God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something, say something, in your day. Say your day. See, that's when I would just go ahead and stop God because this is good. God's going to do something in our day. How many of you are, are ready for God to do something in our day? Come on. How many of you are ready for revival to fill the streets for the glory of God, to flood the nations? Come on. For repentance to be on every lip. I'm ready for God to do something in our day. God says, I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. Come on. What is it, God? What is it, God? Because I'm ready for something. Sometimes you're not ready for the something that God's ready for because God's something isn't always the something we're hoping for. Doesn't mean that something's not the right thing. just means it's not, not our thing in the moment. See, God follows this up, this incredible promise with, with something so jacked up, it doesn't even make sense. He says, Habakkuk, here's what I'm going to do. I'm raising up your enemy. I'm raising up the enemy to the people of God, the Babylonians. It would be like us praying for revival in our city and God saying, I'm answering that prayer. I'm raising up every atheist, every agnostic, all the unbelievers, I'm raising them up. They're, they're just going to start multiplying like rabbits and taking control of everything. And, and, and Lord, we, we, we need peace in the earth. Okay, I'm raising up Al-Qaeda. They're going to control everything. I prayed for peace. You brought Al-Qaeda. What's the deal with this? And God doesn't give a reason. He, this is just his response. This is God's something. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless, impetuous people. At least we're seeing the same thing, okay? At least we can agree on something. They sweep across the whole earth and seize places not their own. They are feared and dreaded 
a law unto themselves. They promote their own honor. They come hell-bent on violence. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at fortified cities. They build earth and rampants and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and go on and on and on. Guilty men whose strength is their God. That's God's answer. That's God's something in this moment. And I have to imagine Habakkuk is ready just to give up all hope. What do you do when God's something isn't your thing? What do you do when what you see in front of you and how you feel and what you're going through doesn't seem to align with what you know or think you know about God? You do what Habakkuk did. You wrestle and you embrace. And you wrestle And you embrace, verse 12, Habakkuk, he says, Oh Lord, are you not from everlasting? This is a prophet speaking. I know you are from everlasting, but I'm putting a question mark on it now, God, because are you not from everlasting? He wrestles. Because I've always believed that you are. I've always trusted you've got the whole world in your hands, and and that includes me and my family. I've, I've always thought you were in control, but are you in control? Are you not in control? Is this not too big for you? Is this too big for you? He wrestles. Next words, my God, my God, my Holy One, you're my God still. You're my holy one still. Holy means pure, perfect. You're perfect. You're righteous. You're holy, which means anything you allow and anything you do, it's perfect. It's right. I can trust you. We will not die. He embraces. Oh, Lord, he embraces. You have appointed them to execute judgment. Oh, rock, he embraces. You have ordained them to punish. He's wrestling. It doesn't make sense. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. That's a statement of faith. He, he, he's embracing. You cannot tolerate wrong. He's embracing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? He's wrestling. He goes from embracing to wrestling. I can't wrap my mind around this, God. I I understand my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your thoughts are higher than ours and our ways aren't always right, but your ways are always right. But it's still hard. I'm still struggling. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? He's embracing it and he wrestles. And this is what we do when we find ourselves in a crisis of faith. We, we wrestle with the issue. We wrestle with God. We, we can ask questions. We cast our cares and worries and anger and frustration upon him because we know that he's good and we know that he's strong and we know that he can handle anything we can give to him. Some of you, you're in a crisis of faith right now. What you're going through, it's too big for you. It's, it's testing your faith. You might feel like it's crushing your faith. You thought there was hope, but you're starting to lose hope and lose heart. And, and I want you to hear this incredible promise in Psalm chapter 34, verse 18. If, if you're in the pit right now, if your heart is heavy today, if you're sick and it doesn't look like there's any cure for what you're going through, you need to know he's not hard to find. He's not far from you. God says, I am close to the brokenhearted and I save those who are crushed in spirit. 
Come on, somebody. I'm close. God says, I'm close to you. You don't have to shout. I'm right there with you. I'm sitting on that hospital bed right beside you. I'm in that room with you all alone. I care and I'm strong and I'm able and I'm good. You see, some of you, you're going through something right now. You, you're not going to be able to walk out of this room today. You, you're not going to be able to, to turn off the television set in your, in your prison cell. You're not going to be able to close the app or, or the laptop, whatever it is you're watching on, and, and, and have that problem disappear. But here's what I know. You can today experience the presence, the power, the peace, and the hope of Jesus, no matter what the storm that's raging around you. You can experience his love. You can experience his peace. You can be filled with hope in Jesus' name. Jesus is our rock. Jesus is our strong tower. Jesus is our help. Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our hope. And he's strong and he's not insecure. He can handle it. Jesus is able. Jesus is good. Jesus is everlasting. And he wants you to know him and he wants you to know that he's with you and he wants you to know that he cares. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up on your feet right now. What we're going to do together is we're going to wrestle and we're going to worship for a few moments right now. And if you're here today and you would say, Pastor Chad, I, I'm sick or somebody that I love is sick. Or Pastor Chad, we, we actually do need to see a resurrection right now. There, there's somebody who's being kept on life support, but, but and we need to see the power of God come through in a supernatural way. You might say, I'm struggling with fear or, or worry or anxiety, or, or I've got, I need a breakthrough in a certain area of my life, and I, I've been holding on to hope, but I've begun to lose hope. I just want you, if that's you, to lift up your hands and, and just to get ready to wrestle with that issue and wrestle with God, but worship at the same time. Wrestle and worship. Wrestle and worship. Some of you, you've been wrestling with your faith. You've been wrestling with, can I be forgiven? But the word of God says everybody who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And, and right now, you need to wrestle with that as you begin to worship. And you need to say, Jesus, I'm here. I don't understand everything there is to understand about you. But I put my faith in you now. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from the inside out. Bring peace into my heart and, and into my home. Bring hope into my heart and into my home. Bring healing into my body. Bring healing into my home. In Jesus' name, bring restoration into my family. Bring restoration into this circumstance. In Jesus' name, I trust you. I give all to you. In Jesus' name, because you're good, because you're able, because you're awesome, God. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. And I believe, come on.